Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 5, titled Genre. Seen it a few times now. Uh, Aaron, multiple viewings. What did you think? Um, I think that there... <laughs> There's there's a lot there's a lot going on there's a there's a lot of things that are open to interpretation which you know hello it's 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 Tuesday and this is Westworld um, I think that your the things that we said on on the Instant Take podcast about you know um, how this is fundamentally a very interesting and intellectually stimulating exercise that is suffering some for some execution problems like. As you mentioned, a lot of the middle parts of the episode kind of drag. I don't think, you know, a second watch improved that any. Um, but I was just noticing more and more things that kind of point to things happening under the hood, um, things that are not quite as they seem, uh, connections to previous episodes, them- thematic connections um, that I think are are super interesting. Like I said, I'm I'm all on board with the story, this the the season central storytelling and the characters. Um, and I guess I, I don't know, like I, I wasn't as bothered by some of the draggy parts in the middle because my expectations for Westworld doing really exciting action scenes are already kind of baked in. Like my expectation is they're not, they're going to, it's going to, uh, if, if I'm, I'm hoping for competent, but like exciting and like pulse pounding is just, you know, I, I don't think that's a gear that they're, this team is trying for. In fact, they might even be doing it as like, a, as, as I've said, a stylistic choice, but um, the stuff they're talking about, you know, societal and uh, AI and, and predictive analysis and simulation. The, I think stuff, all that is still really interesting. Um, and there's a lot of big questions in this episode. What did you think on, on subsequent watches? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with all of that. I think the second watch did nothing for the bad scenes, but did quite a bit for the good parts of this episode, which I think are, you know, primarily centered around uh, Ciroc and Vincent Cassell's performance, which is fantastic. Uh, really goes a long way in those scenes. And I think so far, like the the best part of this episode is clearly his origin story, right? Um, and how it relates, you know, to what's going on now, and also. Um, what's going on in our society currently. Um, th- there are just so many parallels here where we should be asking ourselves the questions that Westworld is dealing with the future of um, th- that I think you know are super important um, for our uh, place and time right now. But like overall, I think the the style of this thing is still pretty impeccable, even if they don't maybe use it to full effect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about how the music always, always, always works in this show. And I think it absolutely worked in this episode, except there were there were some things with the storytelling that didn't quite uh complement those things. Uh that like the the excellent visuals, the excellent uh sounds in the show. But you know, I, I don't want to harp too much on that because there are a lot of interesting questions uh that we'll get to over the course of this discussing this episode. Sure. Maybe we should get to um, it. Yeah, I, I wanted to to start off by talking maybe about these stacks of rings that we see. Um, yeah, because we're going to get one pretty soon. I wanted to ask you about that because someone sent in an email that because um, I I I caught that in real time saying that like that seems to me like you're navigating 
the, the ring we've been conditioned to believe is Rehoboam's like real time analysis of the state of flux or the state of things going yeah. according to plan. And when you see multiple of those rings, you're zooming in and out of them. They're corresponding to these files. I'm thinking those must be, you know, they talk about Rehoboam running millions of simulations. Like I'm thinking you're navigating those. But a, another listener uh, sent in a piece of feedback saying that to them, it reminded them of, um, the time machine this is from Basil. He said uh it reminded him of the time machine for Mac where you can go back to older dates in a similar way, the interface for that. But I'm not a Mac user. Do you huh. do you see that? I've I've never used Time Machine. Oh uh, but yeah, it's it's their backup software which mm-hmm. keeps, you know, incremental backups. Gotcha. Gotcha. Huh. Because uh, the and other now thing I'm is, I'm kind of like, curious. I want to go check it out. The, the, the other thing is, like, it also seemed to correspond with like him talking about his past, and we see at the end that Dolores yeah. gets his cognitive um, compilation files or whatever. And I wonder if, I, I but I don't understand the the uh, I don't understand the tie into Rehoboam's ring. If you're actually, if those are intended to be like, oh, let's navigate to another part of. Uh, Serac's history and analyze that. What's with the whole ring? That's like the whole globe being simulated. What was your What yeah. was your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like the, these stacks are sort of representative of each person's um, prediction model, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each ring within the stack is sort of a data point that that heuristic is using to calculate their particular trajectory. Um, mm-hmm. As as far as it relates to like the other ring that we see, which is kind of the the free energy ring as i'll call it um i'm not quite sure how those relate visually um or systemically i guess but i don't know it it seemed like it was visually rep- trying to represent like a a portion of a whole kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well there's a couple um, and- of instances where the ring is not complete like there is one scene Not in the complete. jet where his one of his underlings is giving oh, him a thing, yeah. and there's like a uh, I don't know seventh of the circumference of the circle that's just disappeared. And yeah. I th- I th- when I when I remember watching it the first time, I'm like, huh, I wonder if we're at a point in time where Hoboam wasn't like worldwide yet or something. So you're actually seeing an incomplete set of predictions or whatnot. But like I don't think that's the case. So no, now there's I'm also... like, go ahead, sorry. Wasn't well, so now I'm trying to think like what would that mean? Does that mean that in that quadrant of whatever it's analyzing that it's simulation and uh prediction is that and and actual events are completely synchronous because uh, i kind of think that the fuzzier the ring gets the more huh. out of whack the prediction is so if the ring is invisible then it's like completely in sync but i i don't know or maybe it's just uh i'm trying to think doesn't Sirac say something when he's he's talking smack to uh daddy dempsey <laughs> he he says something about like there are certain pockets of like white space that yeah certain moments of agency that are yeah mo- moments of agency like where you can actually make a choice so mm-hmm. i wonder if that's like yeah it it doesn't quite line up with everything else we've we've been seeing if the white space were you know the anomalies but mm-hmm. i don't know it, it it seems to make more sense what you're saying which but is it, that is like pure perfect prediction but it's weird because I had like of all the analysis I saw people doing online, I didn't see anyone mention that the fact that you got an incomplete ring in one of these scenes uh, and what yeah. that that might mean. So, I don't know. Uh, okay, let's get into the recap. We start off with a flashback telling us why Sorak and his brother created Roboam to be a god who can save our world from self destruction. 
And then he extorts the Brazilian president into ceasing his activities, which are enriching his friends by exploiting the common people. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. It, it shades Sirac as a certainly a benevolent dictator, right? Um, he's he's in there, and and you know his reasons for that might not be particularly uh, amazing or charitable, but he is doing things for the common people here in order to sort of keep this system on track. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the devil in the details. Like uh I yeah. I would say he's certainly not a tr- traditional evil character. Um but you know I do think we get there by the end of yeah, this episode, or, but... or you know the fact that he might do something for the good of all mankind that mankind doesn't sign off on. Um mm-hmm. you know like yeah. uh, you're you're taking people's agency and free will away. You know one of the things that the interesting things that Westworld has been saying is that people don't have free will anyway. So if you take it from him, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's more like, uh, you know, you're not, uh, you're not, you're not fucking with a human being. It's just so much as moving a couple parts of a Rube Goldberg machine around and, and to get it, you know, it's like, well, if your mouth, you know, if your big elaborate mousetrap isn't catching mice, well, you know, move the guy that sit, that dives into the bathtub an inch to the left. Who cares? It works better this way. And I don't know. That's like I said, uh, I've I've said many times I don't find the worldview of Westworld very satisfying. And I feel like in season three, they're starting to explore the discrepancy between the things that they've asserted and and the real world. Um, And I'm kind of waiting to see where they go with that. Um, I think there's definitely a distinction to be made between like um, manipulating people who are under the illusion of free will um and especially you know when it relates to humans who may or may not have free will in the first place versus taking people who are very much not under that illusion which we see at the end of this episode and putting them into a space where they're being manipulated i think there are those are two fundamentally different things Mm -hmm. which sort of keep Sirac in this gray area between super villain uh who you know is potentially dominating and enslaving the entire human race or semi-benevolent dictator who is trying to do the right thing given that humanity doesn't have free will anyway it's a it's a really interesting question i wanted to make a couple of things i noticed here in this first scene too like we talked about this on instant take uh flies are a very big part of this first scene. You know, Sirach talks about how they brought order from chaos and it began to fall apart. There's flies in the ointment. Then the president in Brazil is dealing with a very noticeable fly problem. We also know that flies were kind of used as a way to visualize the spread of this contagion of of free will and identity and consciousness amongst the hosts. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. In, in previous seasons, did you give any more consideration to what that might mean? That's another thing I thought was pretty light on people's analysis uh, when I when I was looking around. Because honestly, it felt kind of light in the episode. It it felt like this guy. Th- this was literally just a visual way for them to say this guy is an anomaly. This guy is the, one, one of those. An ointment. He's one of those uh, people who's going to break the system if he's not dealt with. Mm-hmm. That's really all I got out of it. Did you have anything? No. Beyond that. Uh, the other thing I noticed is I, I, I talked about this in instant take that uh, I felt like they're drawing some pretty clear thematic parallels between Sirach's brother and Bernard. Uh, Sirach tell, says that his brother is that, that Sue Generis, that uh, one of a kind individual. And uh, Connells asserts that Bernard is the only one they can't uh, replace. And right. Dolores 
said uh, last season that that which is irreplaceable is is real. Something real yeah. is something that's irreplaceable. I wonder where they're going with that. And also, I, I when I was looking around, uh, um, I saw that Kim Renfro noticed in her analysis that there's a very prominent picture of a dead cow in that opening scene of the two, uh, the Ciroc brothers fleeing um, the, the destruction of Paris. And then that harkens back to the first time we meet Bernard in this season, him and analyzing this dead cow that might be have its leg wrapped around barbed wire, might have his leg broken. They're, they're, I, why are they drawing the parallels between those two those two don't, characters? Don't ask me questions I don't know the answer to. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting though. Yeah, the other thing I want to say about this, um, I had this really great theory about Rehoboam going back to the biblical story, um, and then it was kind of exploded by uh, speaking to Kim Renfro her interview with Jonathan Nolan, um, where he said she asked him about you know we we found out that like all the versions of Rehoboam were based you know you had the first one was Saul first king of Israel then you had David then you had Solomon then you had Rehoboam that's just going down the dynasty the dynasty if you're Charles Dance and. He said that that was just a that was just a nod to another sci-fi series that he liked called um, Shoot. I forgot what the name of it was. It's Return to Snack Rib or something. Um, but where they, their AI that also was prominently displayed in the lobby of this giant multinational co- corporation was named after this ancient, I think, Syrian or Babylonian king. And he's like, this is just an homage to that. He might be lying, and if so, I think it's interesting that, like, if you recall when we we when I broke down the you know Rehoboam biblical story, Rehoboam took uh, control of the 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 kingdom of Israel. Uh, his father left him a very wealthy, powerful kingdom, but had some structural taxation problems. And he asked his advisors what he should do, and one set of advisors said, "Well, you should relax. Uh, you know, should be kind to the people. You should give them some freedom and some breathing space, and then they will serve you the rest of their days." And then he went to another set of advisors and said, "Nah, nah, nah, nah. You just pile it on to them more. You give make, make them more oppressive. You pile on their burdens, and then they'll they'll you know they'll they won't have any power to resist you." I think it's interesting that there seemed to be a big conflict between Sirach and his brother about what to do, like what to do with the information that Solomon and Rehoboam were giving them. And it seems like Sirach chose a fairly brutalist approach, which is everyone, every round peg that can fit in the round hole is fine. But when you find a square peg that has to be excluded and, 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 and destroyed and the people need to be put under more control. And that led to a fracturing of two kingdoms with two different kings. And I wonder if there's something there with two races of intelligent beings, one synthetic, one real, and a permanent fracturing of that society um, because Sirach chose the more harsh and oppressive approach rather than maybe the more libertarian, uh, liberal approach that his brother might have uh, uh, um, suggested. But... Jonathan Nolan himself says that's bullshit because he didn't intend any of these biblical uh, illusions. So I mean, it's it's tracking so closely though. Like yeah. you, you look at this because because you can look at um. So Sirach is kind of the one who wants to preserve Dempsey, right? Like uh, his brother says, "Hey, we should kill him. He's not on board with our plan." Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of look at him as sort of the the harsher of the two. Um, whereas I look at Sirach and I say. Uh, well, they're both Sirocs, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I look at Aaron Gard or whatever uh-huh. his name is. Um, 
and I say like he tried to take the gentler path. Uh-huh. Um, he was sort of, I guess, the Solomon to uh, his brothers Rehoboam. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's interesting because like there there is something that comes after those two kings, Solomon, who pushed his people, but you know wasn't wasn't a brutal dictator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rehoboam, who turned into that, and then there's Jeroboam afterward, who is kind of the the leader chosen by the people, who sort of uh, brought about a revolution, uh, which you could kind of put that identity onto Dolores at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and, and you can you can see that there's a split of the two nations of of the nation of Israel, right after mm-hmm. after Jeroboam leads this revolution, so you can kind of see with the two worlds that we're getting at with the human world and the host world and, and, uh, Ciroc's sort of pitch as like, Hey, we can all live together, but apart, uh, much like we're doing right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> our modern society, mm-hmm. uh, t- t- to sort of like say, okay, maybe he's the Jeroboam, maybe Dolores is a Jeroboam, but there's definitely a Jeroboam in the mix. And so like, how closely does this have to track with the story in the Bible before we say, Bullshit, Jonathan Nolan. Bullshit. We don't believe that you're not doing some allusion here to the biblical tale. Yeah. I tend to not believe any showrunner of a mystery box who's giving a mid-season interview to people. Like, you know, that he might... Like, that's that might be the truth, that he was inspired by that. But, like, you know, that it ends there, I, you know, he's got a vested interest in keeping his cards close to his vest and and uh, letting people you know putting putting misleading or incomplete information out there so and i would think any intelligent intelligent curious writer would be more than tempted to sort of make these illusions and, sure. and include allegory in the story right right like, even if it was it started just as like hey i'm just giving an homage and a nod to a favorite piece of right. work i was like oh but look at all these similarities maybe we'll work some of that in no i agree yeah. i totally agree um I did want to say th- there's a really good line at the end because we kind of got ahead of ourselves a little, but there's this really great line at the end of this Brazilian uh, uh, ex uh, extortion mm-hmm. where he, he says, like, you're going to do all this or we're going to replace you with the president. And at the very end, he asks, understood, which is awesome to me because he's speaking like five different languages in this scene, right? He's speaking right. French and English to this guy who speaks Portuguese. Right. So, like... It, it's just this really, really cool thing, and it sort of lets you in on the idea that he's using this translator that's in his ear. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know how many people noticed that, but it was very brief. I didn't see it the first time I watched it, but Super yeah, there's subtle. like a there's like a universal translator stuck in his ear canal. And, and I thought that was like at first someone talking to him, but then I I reconsidered and I was like, oh, this is just an artificial intelligence, right? This is just a language recognition and translator. Yeah, it's like the Babelfish from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. Uh, so then we go to the flashback showing how the brothers hooked up with Dempsey and how he didn't see the brilliance in what they created. And in the present, Sirach is informed that the anomaly in L.A. came from Liam Dempsey's private compound and they have surveillance of Dolores. Uh, I found it funny that Daddy Dempsey, I should just call him Dadsy, Dadsy uh, <laughs> calls Rehoboam or Solomon, I guess, at that time, a giant steel ball sack, which is that... Is is it being round? Is that the only qualification for it looking like a ball sack? Because it has no other identifiably ball sack qualities. Dimsey did And if so, pre- isn't his own fucking head a ball sack? Yeah. Uh Dimsey did not strike me as a particularly intelligent, insightful, or witty man. He seemed no. very 
venal, I think is the word uh, I'm looking for. Uh, not very impressive. Like, um, I, I was like, I mentioned this in instant take that like this guy established himself as a, a lightweight by decrying the fact that this thing could from scratch predict past events with perfect accuracy. Like anyone that had half a brain should be able to be like, holy fuck. Uh, that is amazing and then to only use it to benefit your pocketbook or to only use it to make money seems like a just profound bankruptcy of imagination um mm-hmm. so like yeah I, I i wonder like if that's like a not especially clever piece of verbal jujitsu is kind of part of his character and i feel like they're trying to say something about uh our technology companies and our current use of data collection mm-hmm. and mining yeah because they, they say something in here about how he had been in the right place at the right time before the privacy laws and i Correct. think he's the zuckerberg sh- of his day <laughs> right you should be asking yourself whether we're in the time and place before the privacy laws mm-hmm. right fucking now yeah. and consider how that's going to affect the future of humanity and society yep. yeah what are you sharing uh what are you know do you have a device on you that's as powerful as a supercomputer from 30 years ago that's literally tracking every move that you're making and every communication you're having and all the porn that you're watching and all of your bank account transfers and Uh all your pictures and building a profile of who you associate with. I don't know. Yeah, we all do. Um, I do. I do. Yada bytes of information. Do you know how much a yada byte is? Is that one step beyond a petabyte or is that even bigger? It's bigger. It's a trillion terabytes. A trillion? A trillion. Wow. A trillion okay. terabytes. So orders of magnitude bigger than a petabyte. It's a terabyte of terabytes. Um, it's mm. pretty crazy amount. It's like almost a fictional amount of, of, of data. Um, but that's how much stuff that they had collected up until that point. Um, what yeah, is, what, I have no idea what, and I'm sure you can't answer this question off the top of your head, but what is the collective storage capacity of the entirety of the cloud as it stands right now man i don't i i don't know <laughs> i like we're way beyond because like i remember like 20 years ago you could kind of talk about like libraries of congress you uh-huh. know like uh, a dvd rom or like five dvd roms could hold the entirety of the library of congress like we're so far beyond that um yeah. and then you know what is information is information like a movie script is information a you know, uh, standard resolution copy of that movie. Is it a Blu-ray copy? Is it like a 35? Uh, it's it's fuck. I don't know. Yeah. It's all of it. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of, a lot of data, a lot of data. I got some, some other questions about the, the privacy laws too, because there's, I think an implication here that, I was about well, to first get, of all, I was about to mention this. Yeah. So, so first of all, before we get there, I just wanted to side note and say, I think I understand why, um, there are no cameras in this society and, and it's every street is not blanketed, uh, completely with cameras that, that auto track your face and everything It's because these privacy laws. Yeah. I think I was overlooking that earlier, but the, I think there's an implication in this scene that perhaps, um, some of these privacy laws could have been engineered by Sorok and his brother and Dempsey in order to sort of corner the market on the data that they already had. Yeah. So that no one could recreate a Rehoboam, right? Yeah. Uh, the, like, you know, that they uh, went through their first through the door and then they slammed it shut and put a bunch of deadbolts on it. 
Um, right. I do wonder because we know there are cameras and monitoring devices because that's what the like Ash's scrambling device does is disable them. But I wonder if like it's only allowed on private property um, yeah. or or something like that because. Yeah, there's a couple points where, you know, she's like, oh, if we stand the, the the move, they can't track us. I'm like, the fuck world are you living in, lady? But then, yeah, on the second watch, they make an explicit point that these privacy laws have changed the reality. Um, it, it, I think it's – I'm not sure how much to read into it because it's almost like they realize – they need this to happen because otherwise they you can't like you know 50 years in the future like the idea that you'd have a manhunt or someone be be able to hide out from the law is almost absurd it's almost absurd today but Mm -hmm. like yeah um just the fact that like oh well it's illegal to do that kind of monitoring um which is very much the opposite direction of our current society's trajectory yeah yeah well i mean europe is trying to push back you know they got their right to, they got their data mm-hmm. privacy laws and the right to be forgotten and all that kind of stuff so they're kind of at the forefront um yeah all right let's talk about dolores and caleb um discussing what they need which is liam's access liam insists that he's not going to help them and he tries to get inside caleb's head this is all happening sort of in this long tunnel which sort of is a motif throughout this episode uh, Caleb stops to set him straight, but instead he gets dosed with genre, and and weird visuals start happening here pretty soon. Oh, I, I, one thing I wanted to point out before we moved on from the last scene, or maybe we skipped a scene with Sirac in his private jet, is his assistant said that they found connections between encrypted devices in Jakarta, Berlin, San Francisco, and New Orleans. Or, I'm sorry, Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, we're pri- it seems like they're the the mysterious. Um, other aspect of Dolores that's running around there might be operating out of Germany. And I guess I would be suspecting okay. that we'd be going to Germany before the season's over. Um, because that's the only... I mean, I'm actually... I guess Jakarta is, is a location we haven't seen as well. Um, but I thought maybe that would be connected to the, the Yakuza activity. But I don't know. Yeah. I just want to be on the yeah. lookout for for German locations uh, to see that mysterious last final version of Dolores, her ultimate form, <laughs> to be revealed. Yeah, I think we absolutely should keep an eye on that. Uh, do you want to do you want to bitch about genre all up front? Because I think I feel like genre was a very cool concept <laughs> that they just yeah. didn't do anything with. Like, yep. it was just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool? Like, you know what? I liked Willy Willy Wonka's uh, three course candy. Uh, I liked the, these various movies and moods, and I want to pay homage to them. But they didn't, you know. There was nothing romantic about the romantic part. There was nothing especially horrific about the horror genre. There was nothing. I mean, the action genre. Woof. Um, I, I just felt like it's it's a neat concept, but it just it just it just didn't pay off. And as you said, it's unfortunate that. HBO kind of upstaged itself with uh, Watchmen because they had a similar concept payoff with n- n- the nostalgia drug paid off a yada bite more than uh, <laughs> than this version. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I find one thing interesting, which uh, Marshawn Lynch says in this mm-hmm. episode, he says, watch out for that last act. Is the last act reality? Is that the come down? I think the last, well, see, that's the thing. But then they continue after that. I thought so too. On the second watch, I'm like, okay. But then they'd start up the horror movie, the, 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 the shining shit at the beach. Yeah. So, cause I'm like, I, I cause I'm like, well, that's kind of neat that like, you know, watch out for that last act, which is the, essentially the come down the go back to reality. 
But there wasn't any like there was uh, Caleb. I didn't feel like hit rock bottom, or maybe he did when he started reiterating through his like flashbacks and maybe uh, uncovering his dark past and like the fact that he might have killed his best friend and who knows what else. Um, I don't know. Like I said, it's like you know maybe two three episodes we'll look back and be like, oh that genre actually is pretty interesting. And but it's like sucks that I don't have the information to appreciate and integrate it at the same time. You know. So yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. Uh, is there something weird about this scene with uh, th- that's just poor editing, or are they trying to do some simulation thing? Because there is a very strange cut. There's the stuff where um, Liam doses Caleb and then runs off, and he's clearly thirty yards ahead, fifty yards ahead of where Dolores is, mm-hmm. and we're kind of focused on Caleb, and everything's going blurry with the genre, and then there's a cut and suddenly Liam is being pulled back in and like, we know that Dolores can run pretty fast, but it just seemed off. And yeah. I know a lot of people are talking about simulation theory. Yeah. One of our, uh, listeners actually sent it. Steve sent in an email having the exact same question. And I don't know because number one, Caleb just got dosed by this drug and he's processing that you do. She walks mm-hmm. up to him and walks past him and you do hear her subduing. Yeah. Um, uh, Liam. So it's like, it could just be the effect of the drug compressing time. We see that it slows down and speeds up time at various other parts. Like when he's standing in the middle of a gunfight and he's, you know, falling in love with, with Dolores, uh, during the romantic period of the genre. I just, I yeah. just don't know, but, but you're right. Like, it could also be indication that something's not right. Something has been shifted. There's a glitch in the matrix as well. Sure. All right. We continue across town as Caleb experiences the effects of the drug. Dolores verifies that some explosives are on her bike and then they get in a ride share. Uh, it's of course immediately pulled over because that's what you do with automated vehicles. Men with guns approach and Liam decides he's going to give up his private uh, access key to reactivate the car there's a chase and a subsequent shootout and Caleb's friends show up and they continue moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we talked about the, the bad action here. I don't want to, I don't want to belabor it. Uh, although I will, I will say, I think one of the things contributing to it is uh-huh. <laughs> unfortunately that these are electric vehicles and there isn't the, the sound of the engines. There isn't there uh, that, that kinetic energy is sort of dulled by just the auditory experience of this like cyber truck chases are going to be super boring in the future mm. i don't know that's true because the thing about the electric vehicles they're capable and they're capable of insane acceleration yes and not uh, in this show but in it, real life yeah. it's not so much the room room that i'm missing but just the sense of speed like you know i when i see a car drift around a corner and peel out i expect to see like some rate of acceleration but at mm. no time did it ever feel like these cars were moving faster than 30 miles an hour. And I don't know if that was a technical problem where they essentially did build this thing on a, I mean, I saw the, the behind episode where they essentially, a lot, a lot of these things built these on top of trailers that they were towing around. But then yeah. in the scenes where it's like, they were actually operating as vehicles. Maybe they just didn't have the tech to make them go like that fast because these are very minimalist vehicles. Like just, where are the batteries, where are the engines? Tesla. I don't think they had the room because, like this, like I said, this, these things were very. They did sell the futuristic part of it. Um, they're uh-huh. also. Do you do, do you buy that they're bulletproof? 
I mean, the show's telling me that, sure. Yeah, I guess in the far future, like, why wouldn't you make a taxi? Like, if you got, you know, really advanced polymer technology and you can do it for for, for cheap, why Well, why it not? almost feels like the rich are the ones who take these vehicles because nobody's on the streets, right? Everybody's on the underground subway, on the train. Yeah. So I kind of get the impression that, like, the rich are the people who use these cars. I feel like the rich are the ones using the Skycat, the you know the the. I mean the mega the rich are, cars. Certainly. Okay, so yeah, there's there's, there's the middle, probably like a distinction. The middle class know. millionaires in the future, sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I've what, just one thing before we move into this collection that we kind of glossed over is the level of freaking out that Liam did when he got a look at uh, Caleb through his glasses. Yeah, uh, and then at several points, and like you know, and the, towards the end, he'll say, "You're the worst of them all." Um, that is, uh, you know, obviously underlining that we should pay attention to Caleb. We don't know Caleb. And it's also starting to make me think that there's a lot more to his mother's backstory. Like when she says, you're not my son, she might not actually be lying. This might yeah. be like part of his manufactured backstory, his manufactured. I don't know. Like there's a. The more I think about it, the more there is a lot of evidence for him being host, like this tragic backstory that he's tied to keeping him on his loop. Um, mm -hmm. There's other things. There's other things that, like when she takes a bullet for him that I'm going to talk about, but I just wanted yeah. to, to talk about that too. Okay. Uh, let's move over to Dolores saying that they can't stop moving or Ciroc will find them. And she calls up Martin, who's with Bernard, to get Rehoboam's data on Ciroc. Martin sends it over and then explains what Rehoboam is to Bernard. It's essentially a prediction machine. Uh, he questions what Dolores wants with the system and whether Martin has questioned it. And Dolores gets the Ciroc file sent to her, her as they board the train. Yep. And you hit the night, the nightclubbing genre. <laughs> I'm not sure what genre yeah, I, this is. The train, I guess I heard is this is supposed to be an homage like train spotting. Okay. Because they're yeah, on a train. I I, I've never seen train spotting. I Me know. either. I know. Me either. It's one of the, yeah, I know. I know. It's one of those like big, <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of shameful to admit, but I haven't seen train spotting. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> so so the, the Bernard stuff was interesting to me, uh, A, because I think it sort of retroactively explains a scene we saw with uh, Maeve and Ciroc mm -hmm. last episode where she was in this uh, fancy restaurant and... I didn't realize, I guess, that hosts could sort of move around and function pretty normally when they were offline. Uh, but we clearly see Bernard doing that in this episode. There's also a key thing where Connell's uh, Caloris <laughs> says of Bernard that you've always been of two minds. Mm -hmm. um, is that... A, a, a hint that, you know, because there's some people has been saying that, uh, you know, Ford's been been riding along in Bernard like uh, an armored Uber. Uh, is there... He certainly has at some point. But also it's like it makes you think of the marble, the two-tone marble, which is a modeled mix of human and AI. Like, is are they literally referring that he is a successful human-AI uh, hybrid? Are they referring to the fact that he has Arnold and, and uh, you know, this other distinct personality, Bernard, within him? Um, is there other something special about him that makes him irreplaceable? I I don't know, but these would would I just want to point out all these hints that they're they're giving that the the, the Bernard special and he's more than he appears. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know I think it's an interesting question that whether Martin 
uh, O'Connell or whatever his last name is, uh, is has ever questioned whether Dolores's intentions are exactly what she says they are because this this being this person Martin has been Dolores since she was created right like mm-hmm. th- there was a a point where it diverged however that point is super interesting especially in the context of Bernard because we know that Bernard is actively worried about whether or not Dolores fucked with him and his programming and so what makes think what makes Martin think that she wouldn't have done something similar to him and and that he is in fact some kind of pure copy of Dolores. There's really no reason to think that. Oh, I guess because I was thinking like, well, but if she split her consciousness off at some point, the information that she would that that like that plot that she would have inside her would be part of that split information. But I guess if she went back and edited selectively the information, and maybe that's why one of the copies of Dolores is acting particularly strange and crazy. Uh, yeah, that that definitely has um, some merits. Why? Why is Dolores wanting to download Sirach's profile? Is he has he never been to Westworld? Made it a point never to go to Westworld. I'm, well, he, I mean, yeah, it seems like he probably hasn't. Um, but he is, you know, a complete enigma. He's not on any of the traditional uh, informational systems they have. So this is really the only place she can get information on that man, and hmm. he's the one actively trying to kill her. Related question: Why does Sirach want? the Westworld data. It seems like he had enough data just with what they had before they shut the privacy laws down to accurately predict the last, what, 30 years. Um, yeah. And they, they, they knew they had divergences or they knew they had these individuals that didn't fit the mold and they had a plan to deal with them. Why did he want the Westworld data? Did he think that there's a, does he think there's a key to dealing with those outliers? That's not just killing them off in that Westworld data or could be. Yeah. With all the experiments he's doing, which we're going to get into here in a second. Or does he think there's yeah, a, I would see there's a cure for whatever the problem with his brother is in, in that data. I just, I, it's a, I was, I thought that like, you know, Rehoboam maybe was like one step away from being able to simulate the future and like guide everything. It doesn't seem like that's true. Or I don't know. Maybe he's wanting to eliminate these little windows of opportunity of free will and these moments mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, of, of agency. Um, and those are the holes he's wanting to plug with the Westworld data. But I don't know. It's, it just seems like Rehoboam's got such a comprehensive uh, handle on the presence and the predictive analysis until, you know, uh, Dolores throws the monkey wrench in. It's like, why did they want that data? Why did they need that extra data? Why is he so desperate to get it? It it might be simply to take an advantage away from Delos. Um, you know, they're 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 in a hostile relationship at the moment. Um, Insight and Delos, and so oh, he wants to keep you could sort of them from competing against Robo Hobo. Right, right. Um, yeah, I could I could see that. It is an advantage they have over him. Uh, I think, honestly, more useful than the human data from Westworld would be the host data at this point. Why is that? Like, try try and perfect your your robo-hobo system, right? Oh, yeah. Take the anomalies that you can't predict currently and try and develop a model around that. Yes, simulate all. And that that might actually what he's he's doing with Maeve. I noticed that if you look at the week ahead on Westworld, they're showing Maeve back in the war world. Right. So we're still in simulation. Um, oh, that's another thing I, I I picked up on the second time through when we, we when we were looking at the um, Sir Rock in his sky, you know, invisible woman jet. 
or <laughs> the Wonder Woman's invisible jet. Uh, uh, that uh, his guy said that they, they he he said, made a statement about they're analyzing the data that came out of the Yakuza incident, but they don't mention anything about Maeve or anything like that, implying that that didn't happen, or they didn't know Maeve was there, or Maeve wasn't there, or I mean maybe that's common, like maybe that would be seen as belaboring the point. But I thought it was interesting that like the way that guy talked about it was almost like the Maeve mission. They they had no idea that was going that was going on, um, and I wonder if that was another hint that what what we saw Maeve do last week was not real or was simulated or is from some other timeline I mean, that hasn't occurred be. yet. Um, that, that certainly could be the case. It could it could just also be that like since they're the ones who kind of sanctioned that mission, it's not worth noting. Yeah, or it kind of comes as a package with the Yakuza stuff. Yeah, I guess that's that's what I was thinking. Like you know what would what would be unusual for this guy to report? Like if you know. It's like, right. uh, and we, and, and Maeve was there too. Well, of course she was. We sent her there, idiot. <laughs> right. So. So then we flash back to when they demonstrated Solomon's effectiveness to Dempsey Sr. Uh, he's duly impressed, but he still didn't understand the full scope of it. And Sorak and his brother charted a course for the entire human race. Dempsey got greedy, manipulating the system for his own ends. So they locked him out of it. And then Sorak realized his brother was an outlier that broke the system. And his brother went mad. Did he? Or was his brother the same I don't know. one? That's a good question. He's quick to suggest murder. So the other, not, a, not a huge fan of Sorak's brother. There's a couple other people that said that um you know, Sorak talks about how they're they've done millions of simulations and there's no there's no simulation where if you reveal the truth about Robo Hobo it doesn't end in human extinction. But someone suggested on Reddit, it's like, what if the Robohobo only simulates realities in which it continues to exist? Like, maybe the solution is to turn off Robohobo. Hmm. It's, gotcha. It's like unable to think outside it. itself, like, or ponder its own inexistence, which is kind of a human... Its perspective is limited. Yeah, yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think there's no I don't there's there's nothing predictive about that theory. It's just an interesting one I wanted to raise. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't considered it. And it, it is interesting. Um. I I don't know how much more we want to talk about here because we kind of talked about a lot of this. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with moving on. Okay. Um. We go back to the present day or simulation. Who knows? Uh. Dolores decides she's going to release the data that Reboam has to everyone. Liam objects and tries to demonstrate to Caleb's friends exactly why it's such a bad idea by looking at their data and telling them things about themselves and their loved ones that they'd rather not hear. Uh, Caleb then tells a story about drowning rats meant to demonstrate the false hope that Rehoboam represents. And then Dolores distributes Rehoboam's data anyway to everyone on the planet. Huh. And we see everybody freak the fuck out as they exit the station. Right. Um, I, so John John Gallagher, the actor that plays Liam... Is uh, he bad or is the way Caleb or the way uh, Liam here is just thrashing from one version of asshole to the next to pleading for his life to being petulant to being angry to being abu- is that suggesting that we're seeing multiple versions of reality being simulated and played out before us because there's a couple things that they beg that like uh um 
one of uh, Caleb's accomplices at some point says, you know, hey, you got the glasses or any version of this where you talk yourself out of it, whatever. Because, like, if this is just one, I, I just, the, these are some bizarre choices that they're making as far as, like, him being under these people's thumb and he taunts them, he belittles them, and not even in the situation at the beach where he's essentially like, okay, well, you're, this is, my name's Pitt and you're not talking your way out of it. But, like, I feel like he had some hope in this this train scene that he could talk himself out of it. But he always went maximum fucking dick. Uh, I, is that to show, a, like, a limitation of, of, of his type? That he doesn't know how to really connect with people? But then the next scene he's talking about, like, but hope is what makes the whole world go. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's bad writing, bad acting, or they're actually intentionally showing that there's various versions that's being iterated through here. I'm not inclined to give them a lot of slack when it comes to the emotional tone of this show Mm -hmm. um, because they have shown time and again that that's not their main focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their main focus is conceptual. And so I'm inclined to sort of say, yeah, it's probably just poor direction, poor writing. Uh, I I think this guy plays a very specific character really well. Um, And if he tries to get too far out of the wheelhouse, you know, I I can't even say because I haven't seen him try anything else. I was going to say, I've only seen him play a very similar character in the newsroom, and I thought he was kind of shaky there too. But then again, that's another show that was pretty shaky in its writing and some of its foundational stuff too. Yeah, in places certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know. I, I view him as like being very good at playing a specific character, like a Jason Statham or something, right? Do you think he's um, so? So you're saying like a Jason, not that he's good at playing characters like Jason Statham, but he's very <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, much like Jason Statham, gotcha. he is very good at playing a <laughs> single type of character. Got you. He's a yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, we we do find out that Liam thought Martin killed Dolores, which kind of adds another level of oh fuck to this character. Um, because I I guess I thought that like he was just told she died in an accident or something, mm-hmm. but. No, he kind of knew she was murdered, mm-hmm. which turns out she wasn't, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I agree with Caleb here, where I would rather live in chaos as opposed to a false hope uh, given given to him by the likes of Liam. Yeah. Because, uh, and honestly, it comes back to this question I, I had of like, how unethical is it or immoral is it um, to sort of, give people false hope when they don't know that the hope is false mm-hmm. versus once they know that the hope is false, how unethical is it to put them back into those cages? And I think I'm with, with Caleb by the end of this episode. Yeah. It's very like opiate of the masses, right? This is the ultimate, you know, like religion skirts around this because most of the people that are teaching it, like you got clear exceptions. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I doubt there's many fans of like mega church, TV evangelist pastors who are clear like it seems like that's clearly someone abusing religious belief to enrich themselves but most people that are preachers priests ministers sincerely believe what they're teaching and you know uh whether their hope is false or not and whether there's only one god and you got to follow that particular version or whatever you know it's it's still like done in good faith right versus like if you know you got the like the L. Ron Hubbard engineering Scientology deliberately to enrich himself and be in control, that's no. a lot harder, you know. It, it's 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 different from a person being mistaken and wrong but sincere and a person being uh, cynical and manipulative. 
uh, on purpose to to uh, achieve a particular goal against someone's uh, actual informed consent. But it's yeah, and, and you know the beliefs in their own head too. Like, uh, do they do? Does the person doing the manipulation believe in free will? That can sort of convey right. innocence or guilt to them. Because if they do believe in free will and they're manipulating these people anyway, that's a much greater sin, in my opinion, than you know not believing that anyone has free will themselves included. Because that's like that. what they're doing is just it's you know they can't be blamed any more than a mouse trap can be blamed for killing a mouse. You know, it's like it's just hey, right, right. I was put on here to make Rohoboam, and that's what I'm going to do. And if I'm not meant to do it, someone else will stop me. It's a very fatalistic, like, I don't know how you get out of bed with that kind of worldview, but uh, there it is. And this sort of goes back to the the idea I had after, I think, the instant take of last week, which was sort of who cares if we have free will or not until we have the ability to determine the outcome of our choices and determine whether that's a, a truth or a falsehood. Yeah. It, it kind of doesn't matter. And... I think we're sort of in that in that place where it's interesting at Westworld because they've sort of said and they want us to just take on the face of it that humans don't have free will. Mm -hmm. And so it paints these people manipulating others as much more villainous. Yeah, I I agree. And it's not just it's not just whether we can do a prediction, but also the certainty to which like, uh, for example, if I'm 99 percent certain to die in a particular situation like uh you know, I'm in a natural disaster. Or I'm I'm in some kind of you know trying to escape a forest fire. Uh, you know, some people would say, well, like 99% chance to die, just lay down now and quit. And then there's the person that's like, fuck, one percent chance. I'm gonna keep fighting. It feels like that. Like you should live your life as if you have free will and your choices matter. Because yeah. if you're right, then that's the best way to live. And if you're wrong, then it doesn't matter. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a very abstract or Pascal's wager with extra steps. Um, yeah, but it seems compelling to me. Uh, and like I said, I think the life is like, it's so funny because when Sirach was saying like, uh, you know, yeah, life is on rails, but there are these moments of clarity and action and potentials that, that felt like a lot, like what I was saying last week, where it's like, I think the day to day, we are essentially mechanical, biomechanical engines doing our tasks, but we can, with this emergent quality called, uh, consciousness, affect our own states by we know we can we can improve our diet we can improve our exercise we can meditate we can you know overcome some of our limitations we'll then feed back into and 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 alter the probabilities of our outcomes um so yeah i'm i'm yeah, I pat myself on the back for my philosophy <laughs> it's sort of an, an admission of guilt by Sirach in a way it right? is the right idea that there are moments where you can make truly free choices and yeah. it uh exert some agency on your life I, but it's a very utilitarian that, that it's, shades what he's doing as villain it's the trolley problem writ large like i've got a switch yeah. that will i can throw and kill 500 million people but it will save 8 billion yeah is it moral to throw that switch or is it more moral to stand back and not touch the switch and say well it's out of my hands um right <laughs> we got a lot of real life trolley problems right now that we're dealing with but i think that's kind of like the from from a, a utilitarian ethical framework, he's saying that it, it'd be immoral to allow the world to be destroyed and all 8 billion people die. And if you have to sacrifice a few hundred billion to achieve a goal where they all get where, where the majority of us get to live, then that's that's ethical and that's moral. And I think Caleb's on the other side of that, right? Um, 
Yeah, you know, which is why he's helping Dolores out right. in the first place. Because, but, yeah, how certain, know. how certain, like, are you of extinction? Because that's the other thing is, like, what if the what if these simulations are wrong? What if, you know, Rehoboam hasn't seen the one simulation where humanity decides to eke out an existence, however meager, however strong, but but free and genuine and real um, and and something of their own choice and volition? You know, that's that's an interesting ethical problem, too. Like, would it be better off if 99 percent of the world lives in mental bondage and slavery, kind of like a matrix situation? Or would it be better for one percent of the world to survive, but as free thinking uh, individuals of free will? Fuck. Yeah, I'm not qualified to do that math. No, I, I don't. I don't want to. Right. Like, take that. Take that job from my shoulders. I don't want it. Yeah. Uh. So I. I still. I. I want to say how little this emotionally connected with me. How this moment rang completely false, given every like, given how sterile this world is, given how few people we've seen, and how emotionally disconnected the show has been. I don't want to belabor that point, but I will say there is one true hero among the ranks here. And it's the fucking janitor on that subway platform who just keeps mopping away. Hey man, yeah. He, he he sees his thing. Maybe he saw and it was like future CEO of Insight, ten to twelve years uh-huh. or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's weird, I don't know like, what he saw, but it was a good day for it him. It seemed like everyone was reacting negatively, but like I, so I don't know because this the second time I watched this, I was reminded of a very similar scene in Mister Robot from last season, and I remember being critical of that too, like. Really, that's it. But I don't know how you depict the world simultaneously getting some kind of like draw dropping information. And especially when Mm -hmm. you don't like a show like The Leftover, that would be the point. The Leftovers, that would be the point. Like you you would track everyone's reaction to getting a cell phone and some would be incredulous. Oh, this is bullshit. This is fake news. I don't believe it. Some people would be like, aha, I knew it. Some people would be in denial. Some people, you know, like you'd have seasons to work through this one defining (laughs) moment where in Westworld, it's like needed that in Westworld. It's it's like, fuck it. We got five minutes. We're going to be on the train and people are going to be like, arguing and crying there's going to be a boyfriend and girlfriend breaking up and then we're going to get out of the tunnel and there's going to be people fucking crowd surfing on ubers and shit uh and and smashing windows and instantly going black mask and 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 burning it all down like i got a solution for you yeah change your story (laughs) if if you realize you don't have the time or you don't have the budget or you don't have whatever you need to get this done right don't do it but it's a cool concept and like if you can Mm -hmm. Uh, so if the concept is sound that you just can't sell it in five minutes, then you just realize that's a weakness. Like uh, that's why I can never write a Hollywood story because it's a comp- it's impossible to write a story that has zero holes and zero leaps of logic. And usually when I get there, mm-hmm. it's a shortcut. I think successful people like, yeah, fuck it. If I do everything else right, people won't notice. Um, and I think that's what Westworld for a lot of people does enough stuff right that they don't care. Notice about the the the, the, the little stuff. So yeah, not for me. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, if they're selling a, a tale of like now, what's the important part is to realize is now Robo Hobo has something that it cannot simulate, which is people knowing that um, it's giving them rotten inputs and outputs and, and uh, false rewards. So people will no longer yep. participate in the system. Um, it's going to have to build up a whole other f- theoretical framework for this stuff now. And I mean, my, I guess my, I don't know. Because it does seem like there's a lot of obvious counterplays. Like we mentioned an instant podcast. Um, why couldn't you instantly get put something out to the world's media that says, oh, this was just a hoax. This was just a terrorist attack trying to destabilize people's confidence in the system. 
the vast majority of people that this has benefited and they're providing a comfortable real, uh, real uh, existence to would probably go along with that. And then the small per- the, the percentage of the people that don't, you just put into the retraining camps. You send them off to war. Uh, you you do do something with them. Whatever you do to wean them out of society. Yeah, I'm sure Rehoboam has anticipated this like every scenario they they say every scenario in which this information is revealed ends in the collapse of the system and so it's clearly been trying to simulate it Mm. um but there are so many outliers um and so many anomalies at this point in the form of you know people who are now aware and also hosts that Um, can't be simulated yeah yeah it it makes you wonder like how accurate are those simulations Mm mm-hmm Okay, so Bernard gets to see what uh, Dolores did from Rehoboam's control center, and Dolores gets shot a few times, and Caleb surprised uh, that she's fine. Okay. One of these bullets at least goes right through her. I know. I know. This is this another hint that we're dealing a simulation thing because, and she kind of looks at his chest as if maybe he's got a bullet hole in him too, and is this is this. Is this a simulation? Is Caleb actually a host? And he's just like looks down and sees his bullet, the bullet hole in his chest. Like that doesn't look like anything to me. Uh, I don't know because they've done action so poorly in this show that I really can't tell what is just them ignoring the consequences of their own action scenes versus them trying to make a point. The other thing is, does this is this the point where Caleb realizes he's being manipulated? Because the first time he meets Dolores, she's dying of, you know, apparently dying of multiple gunshots to the stomach. Here she yeah. takes three of them like a champ and doesn't even slow down. I think it is. It's a combination of both. But then again, she did seem like she was on the verge of dying and she got a blood transfusion and felt right as rain. There again, really wish I knew what could hurt a host. What was mortal damage? Uh, I think we'll find out this episode. <laughs> uh, Okay, let, let's talk about the next scene because it's more interesting. Sorak is pissed that Dolores released the data, and we flash back to when Dempsey discovered that Sorak is imprisoning and experimenting on the outliers in order to keep them, uh, keep the system running and to keep Rehoboam from sending them out to be slaughtered. So th- there is a little bit of benevolence here, right? Like Rehoboam was sort of doing some real dirty work, sending them out to war, sending them out to other places to get chewed up by the meat grinder. Yeah. Sirach's trying to do something else with it. This, trying this, to find a way to reintegrate. So them. this, because I, they, yeah, when I first saw this, I thought that they were implying that these people were all going to eventually be shipped off to war. But it seems like this is version, this is 2.0 of the plan. The first one was like send them off to uh, conflict theaters to get them, you know, to to get them killed. And then the kinder, gentler approach was to try to reeducate or fix them. I don't know what they're yeah. doing. It's such a weird facility. They got people in all these glass boxes and they're having to make their beds and to like military perfection and like what the hell? I, I wish I knew what they were doing. Um, mm-hmm. I have no idea what they're doing. They're trying. To, they're trying to a, change a them. Reeducation camp. Well, and it's also Dempsey who I've was conditioned to expect is like dumb as a brick. Like instantly grasps what's going on here just by walking through it. And I'm like, shouldn't I? You know. Yeah. Like if, if he went into a building and they're putting they're like slits in people's throats and putting them on hooks like something out of Cloud Atlas, like that's something I can get instantly. And oh, that's bad. That's sinister. But a whole bunch of people uh-huh. like, you know, he could have Dempsey could have been in here and been like, oh, you're sheltering and uh, all the homeless people of the city. And it would just as fit as something nefarious like you're you're remanufacturing their brains. Like, I, I don't know. I, I can't figure out what 
what is the the deal here? Yeah. Uh, I swear I've seen this style of thing very recently in some other show. It might have been a Black Mirror episode, like these glass boxes or people bring experiments now. But I can't let me think let of me show. let me float one by. Uh, yeah, is this? Is this the world above uh, versus the world below version of Westworld's QA labs? Because QA so was like all Dale- black and, you know, dark and dimly lit. And this is all very, yeah. you know, everything's in white and neutral shades and more warm or organic. But there's still people in glass boxes being fucked with. Mm-hmm. So that's what yeah. I that's the, you know, uh we're all the way up now in our deluxe <laughs> mental institutions, Jimbo. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Ciroc's all the way up in his glass box. He is. He is. Throughout this episode. Uh, all right, let's move on to Martin giving Bernard the location of the facility where Ciroc is keeping the outliers. Then Stubb shows up and they turn the tables on Martin, taking back Bernard's pause button. Yeah, someone pointed out, and I that that this uh, apparently is the not just any facility, but also the exact same facility that Williams being stored uh, um, was was sent to. Is that true? I How don't. Do we know that. I don't know. It was like a screenshot comparing something to uh, something else. That was the assertion made, um, huh. and that was like one of the things I, uh, I looked at right before we got onto this. Uh, uh, discord session to record the podcast um so i didn't get a chance to plummet fully but it seems like I, I i bought that it's true because it's something that brings william back to the main narrative it's a breadcrumb that leads you know and it also makes sense in that like it's part of my theory that uh dolores is now the hero and bernard's the villain uh you know for for bernard to hook up with the other traditional villain of the show um and we did see some stuff in the trailer where the where William is taken into a lab and he's got an implant put in. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. You could sort of see them trying to retrain him and recondition him with uh, the limbic system implant. Uh, and it, the 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 lab looks very much like the aesthetic of this entire building. Yeah, so. agreed. I can see that. Uh, okay, so then Sorok's goons show up and Bernard and Stubbs decide to flee to safety. The rest of them go into Martin's office to speak with Sorok's hologram. And Martin blows up everyone in the room. As Bernard leaves the building, he remarks to Stubbs that Dolores' plan is starting, and he thinks he's part of it. Uh, so I think now we have a definitive answer to what kills a host, right? Is Martin dead? Explosion. I hope Martin's dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like the Angela thing. Like, if you get blown the fuck up, like atomized, I I'll buy that you're that 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 kills the host. <laughs> um, yeah. So there are probably five hosts now. Yeah. Including Bernard. Yeah, we're down to four Dolores's. Yeah. One of which I don't think we've seen yet. Mm-hmm. The one that's hanging out in Germany. Yep. Uh, how does Bernard think he's part of it? What is what is the what is the genesis of this sentiment? Because I'm I'm not totally sure. I, it's the mis- that's the mis- mystery. Mis- that's the mystery. That's the mystery, right? Yeah. You know, like why what what Connell's role is finished, what's Bernard's role? Why is he the one that they can't replace? Um mm-hmm. did you also see that someone pointed out that one of Sirach's goons that's standing right behind his main goon, the uh, uh the the his his female his his woman representative Martel. Yeah, did you did you see that he was a host in season two? 
No. Do you remember one scene that they're they're making this guy out of the uh, you know in in the host frame and he's like all white and then they inject like the blood fluid into him and he gradually turns pink. Do you remember that scene from season two? Uh-huh. That is like almost certainly the same actor as this guy standing behind her. And, you know, people are going back and forth in the subreddit discussing this, saying, look, that's got to be a connection versus, well, it's not uncommon to reuse extras that are reliable. But that's like this has hit the same stage as Mr. Robot, where like everything and an anomaly in the background is, is cited as evidence. But yeah. we also know that this is also a real production that can make mistakes and continuity errors. And certainly, you know, uh, Mr. Robot had its share of unintentional weird shit that was just a production error and people went on of, of tangents. I'm going to assume that because why? Why would you put that in the background and then blow the guy up five seconds later? I bet he's just, you know, he, he showed up on time. He didn't hog a craft table, uh, the craft service table, and uh, he hit his marks. So they called him back for yeah. season three. <laughs> I like it. We got Let's another we got another mook for you to play. Uh all right, uh, Dolores' group walks up on the beach, headed for the airfield, and she asks Caleb what she wants, or what he wants to do with Liam. He's uh, seen it already. Uh, Liam has his own death. That's what they're going to do with him. He goes on a tirade against the entire group for being a drag on the system until Ash finally shoots him. Then Caleb tries to save him, but he's flashing back too hard because, you know, genre. Uh, so he can't be of any use. And Liam's dying words to him are. You did it. What all what has he done? Do? I'm pretty sure just the the juxtaposition of him standing over his friend Francis and trying to stem the wound and him standing over Liam, I think that all is um, suggesting that he is, in, in fact, is the one that killed his friend. But also, it also seems clear that Caleb doesn't have a full knowledge of what exactly he did. Like they show him black bagging this other gentleman that we don't know. We've never seen before. Um, And with Francis maybe killing him, we also see him strapped to a gurney and thrashing around with these like high tech goggles strapped to his uh, face, which suggests to me like he's being reprogrammed or his memories are being fucked with. Um, And then also, as we point out in the instant take, there's a lot of weirdness in this, the way this scene, like they implied the way this thing is filmed implies that Ash is the one that shoots him and, um, but the angle that she's holding the gun and the, the place where he's shot, um, and what, you know, uh, Dempsey himself is saying maybe implies that Caleb did it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's also, uh, there's also a, a people, a lot of people pointed out that there's a, a eerie similarity between the overhead shot of Caleb standing over Liam and the white foam washing over and mixing with the blood with the scene of Maeve dying in the white android milk from two episodes ago um or maybe that was last episode uh it was that might just be a nice visual motif tie-in which i think is cool but i just want to point that out uh for people as well yeah another um possibility for you did it Mm -hmm. is sort of a uh grander one which is you're the thing that finally crashed the system um because you know all of these possibilities are simulated right but until one is sort of picked out uh, until you get down that line, you can't know which one. Oh, well, maybe that's not even true for Rio Bowen. We have we saw stock market scene. Um, but we do know that Liam had some insight into who Caleb was. And, you know, there's the outlier or the anomaly of Dolores sort of pushing events along here. But now that he's a part of that, maybe the system is able to predict him a little bit better. 
and it turns out maybe he's the one who crashes the whole system. Um, what if he like? What if we go from the other direction, and that incident with his mother at the diner was like some kind of formative thing for Rohoboam to like form a simulation? Because we know that was like right. They they mentioned that's like that was right before the data privacy laws went into effect. Yeah, it's I, one of his cornerstones. Yeah, I wonder if there's some connection there with like that was that that the way that situation unfolded and how Robo Hobo maybe Robo Hobo had his mom committed and that was like his first kind of like tweaking of society and I, I, there there could be that like he's saying you did this like you're the one that started the Robo Hobo project or you're connected to it somehow. I don't know. Hmm. That's just something I'm throwing out there. Yeah. Uh, it's meant to be cryptic. Yes. Uh, we'll see more. Yes. In the but we know that. Uh, uh, Liam asserts that Caleb's the worst of them. Yeah. It's uh, very interesting. Seb Shaneb. The Destroyer. Uh, all right. So Sorak is told that Dolores has his files. Um, we flash back to when Sorak kills Dempsey to keep him from revealing his experiments to the public, thereby resulting in the end of humankind. Are we sure uh, that Sirach is, is talking to Robo Hobo this whole episode? Because I saw some interpretations of people trying to reframe it like that he was talking. That this is like him talking to Dolores, or it's like a uh, an interpretive thing of him, like like Dolores looking at his files through his voice, or maybe he's talking to Maeve that like you know that that there's something a collaboration with him and Ford to bring about Maeve to destabilize the situation or like if you go with my theory uh which I didn't seem like there's a lot of people buying it or this usually some a lot of times when I have a smart idea I'll go on reddit the next day and there's a whole bunch of people had it too um I had the idea that Rehoboam actually is in some way Sirach's brother yeah um like his his consciousness is uploaded in that or it's his personality or something um, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like there's that that had much legs to stand on. No, no one built anything onto that. Yeah, I mean, we might just need more information on that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I didn't know because like I don't understand why Sirach, um would narrate this thing to Robo Hobo. I don't understand stylistically, and I don't understand like in in real <laughs> life what the explanation would be. So I'm look. I was looking for something. Yeah, else. I feel you. No, it, it's weird. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like it. The dialogue makes it certainly seem like he's talking to Roboam, as opposed to Dolores. Especially in this scene, I think there's a moment where he says, "Like we, we ensured, like I, I ensured in that moment that you would outlive us all. Right, you survive." Um, and he's very much talking about like the system that he's created, and nope. through the whole episode, not necessarily what you could look at as a byproduct of that system. Uh, that's not even true like the 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 true outliers here are the hosts and so like they're the furthest removed from this system possible and and that's not even true because uh apparently Sirach himself is an outlier like uh that's interesting i almost think he made himself an outlier in this moment of random action i wonder if there's something that too because like you know um dimsey senior was saying something like yeah you're full of shit i've seen I've looked through the glasses and I walk out of here alive and he's like, oh, yeah, well, every once in a while you get to do something like this. Um, also, right. I, I, this is a very sloppy crime scene, right? Like like a plane goes down and the guy bashes his brains out on the rudder of the down plane. Like the, the air tra- the, the air safety guys show up and be like, oh, open and shut case. Look at this. 
This, he's dragging him off at the end of this scene, so maybe he's gonna clean up the know. crime scene a little bit. I I don't yeah. know. It seemed like a clumsily he's fake. Stage it. Yeah, it seems like a clumsily fake thing. But then again, there's been there's been a lot of clumsy stuff in in this show, so I'm I, I might be spinning my wheels against nothing there. But I'm wondering where other these other bubbles of agency like. Yeah. How often do they exist? Are they trying to eliminate them? Is it just an inherent part of it? And also, that also implies that the central thesis of the show is wrong, that people can't change, that people are on loops. If there are these moments, these anomalies that will give you those those windows of opportunity, then we do have free will, and we can exercise so it. I feel like the opportunity here, the moment of free will, is, is not that. The, the moment of agency is sort of the accident itself because how do you predict a mechanical failure that would crash an airplane right what do you uh, I, I don't know that a system like rehoboam could predict really? a mechanical failure why couldn't it because it, it's it's just so up to chance i mean maybe maybe i'm fooling myself maybe like it could you know analyze the materials that the that the bolts are made out of on the wing and it would know when they're going to fail exactly maybe it's it's some kind of magic like that but I would think accidents, things that have a freak chance of happening, um, things that it sort of can't predict because it's not like a perfect. Yeah, you're right. Because it, it can't possibly predict the entire, like you can't quantumly predict the entire universe and every particle in it, right? It's physically impossible. Yeah, right? like could it predict an asteroid coming that like science hasn't even observed yet? You know, like something like that. Right. Could it pre- yeah. And once it got a glimpse of it, it could probably like tell you what's going to happen after that. Sure, but- if you postulate, oh, an asteroid's going to hit now, it could tell you like what what the response would be. But you're right, you're right. Like random acts of God, like lightning strikes and stuff, fi- fires. Like how can it possibly predict that? Yeah, I would think that maybe the moment of agency he's talking about is the engineered moment of agency of the mm. plane crash. Like Rehoboam couldn't possibly know that your plane was going to go down, and so now that it has gone down. Uh, because of my doing, which it, I may also be a black box. In yeah, but how did look. it? Yeah, so do you think, do you buy that Serac is unknowable to Rohoboam either deliberately or accidentally? If, if I, so, I that's it. Yeah. Ma- if the most powerful person in the world is the one thing that Robohobo can't simulate, that seems like a massive hole and in its, its you know, information right. space. And I am, I'm, I'm kind of convincing myself that that's not true because Serac's files his memories, his his they're in there. Uh, flashbacks are in Rehoboam. his cognitive so, profile. Yeah, yeah. I think he does have himself in the machine. Here. I think he like. I don't think he's evil in the sense that he's twirling his mustache and wanting to enslave humanity. I think he sees himself as good and noble, and I think he would understand the importance of even himself, the man kind of like behind the curtain being simulated. Because else, what what's the point? If Robohobo doesn't so, know what he's what string he's going to pull, then how the hell can it tell him what what is is good for humanity and bad for humanity yeah it's a fair question i at this point i'm kind of up in the air of what he means this bubble of agency yeah yeah it's mysterious probably deliberately so it's intriguing yeah. westworld's very finally, good at being intriguing it, it, yes that is perhaps the best thing it is mm-hmm. uh very intriguing so finally we go to the airfield hangar where dolores and Sirak debate who's in control and whether humanity can be saved and a duffel is delivered to Caleb. Uh, and as they board the plane to leave, he questions aloud whether Dolores' plan is actually the best one. What is in the duffel bag, Jim? Guns? 
I think guns? I I don't know. It's Gwyneth Paltrow's body. <laughs> that explains why he's it's so light. Yeah, her head's in the box. Them. Her body's in the bag. Uh-huh. Uh, I I there again another fucking mystery. Um, what could possibly be in that that would be worth pushing it to another uh, another episode? Uh, hmm. I don't know. I really can't think of anything other than like there's a a couple of big guns in there. That's what I'm thinking. It could be guns. It's a lack of imagination on my part. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, because it's it's got a weird shape to it. It's not. It's you know you know approximately its size. It's not universal uh, uniformly rigid because there's like droopy parts of it and stuff. I I don't know. I don't know what you put in there. Skis. Uh, so Caleb in this scene is having sort of a. Uh, crisis of conscience moment where he's questioning you know he's getting nervous about who he is what he's done in the past whether he's actually on the right rails here um and he says as much to dolores and there's this moment where he this duffel is delivered to him and he looks down at his Mm -hmm. hand Mm -hmm. if this is aaron paul's hand somebody needs to get this man a manicure if it's if it's supposed to mean something other than just like there's some dried blood from Liam on his hands, yeah, then it was beyond me. But I think that's, that's what, what I took away. I think that's what it is. It's just he's his his hands are bloody, covered in blood. He's worried about it. Maybe we can get David Duchovny in here. He can <laughs> he can be the hand double <laughs> the, for the, Aaron the Paul. Because ma- um, Jesus, those hands. What's wrong with the hands? his thumbnail man it's all fucked up well, do you, well if we're gonna talk about noticing weird things by hands check out uh, Liam uh, Dempsey Jr's uh, he's got like a coke nail on his pinky that you would not believe <laughs> that's his genre nail <laughs> he's snorting genre every other yeah day. he's scooping in by the by the by the nail full yep huh I hadn't noticed that I didn't notice so Aaron this- Paul's uh, f- thumbnail so there you go at this point I'm totally up in the air on who the villain is i think sarak has the potential as uh a villain here but dolores you know she might be a liberator right now but what does she do with us once our strings are cut yeah and also like i don't know how epistemological do you want to get like is it bad that humanity goes extinct in like a cosmic sense you know, it's right. almost like uh, to an outside observer, who's the good person, who's the bad person? Like, is it better to save life that has no meaning and no real challenge or st- or is it better to let it run its course? I I don't know. These are some I think those are some really interesting ideas that I wonder if the show will grapple with as well. I guess kind of like look with I think it is with Caleb saying like maybe some maybe people should know their fate, but I don't man. I don't know. That's like uh, if there is an asteroid that's going like if if. Uh, the man knew that the asteroid is coming to kill us in 30 days. Should they say, should people get, get a chance to spend those 30 days in the way they see fit? Even if a lot of people are going to choose this to like do anarchy and chaos and fucking purge on a grand scale, or should you live the rest of your life out? No, it's, it's kind of like, I forget a couple weeks ago, someone asked, uh, there's a story, I think in the news about um, some village in China where the matriarch, the old matriarch had cancer and no one was telling her just so they wouldn't upset her. And she was old anyway. And I'm like, that's kind of fucked up because you know, maybe she would want to have set her affairs in order in the last few weeks. Like it's, it always, that always rubs me the wrong way. Depriving people of info. If, if there is one thing to not know, but it's another to know and just be ignorant of something. 
Yeah. And then there's, you know, the example we just covered the majestic where on on a man's deathbed Jim Carrey yeah. refuses to tell him that he's not his son even though he knows it. Yeah. Um, well, that's So so how right. close are they to death? Like You're right. How you know, how much it, how much change could they do? Like you're right. There's even with me who has a pretty pretty strong aversion to that there's certainly places where like or with children you know, yeah, if like a children's yeah. di- a child's dying or has w- days to live, like why would you tell a five sit five year old down and explain things that they can't even grasp, like mortality and stuff? Why wouldn't you make them as comfortable until the end as possible? But right. people that still have agency, people who aren't literally dying of a heart attack or or children who can't conceive of things, uh, like everybody else should should have their their free will and their their uh, intelligence respected, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. Uh, That's the end of the episode. Yeah, that is the end of the episode. Let's get the feedback. We've got some at westworld at baldmove.com is where you send this stuff in, and we consider it, and this is the result. (laughs) First up is Jamie. said, first, I meant to send this message in a few weeks ago, but the red plus white mix that we saw uh, with the robot liquid mixed with blood, and again this week, blood mixed with the white waves of the ocean, probably symbolizes life and death. Back in college, I took a course on mythology, and the one thing that stuck with me is that in Asian cultures especially, white often symbolizes death. Think of a body that's been completely drained of blood. Where conversely, red symbolizes life. Think of the blood that keeps us alive. I think you're on to something there because, you know, that uh, mysterious gentleman that was uh, pure milky white until he got the blood injected to him and he turned pink, I mean, that's... That's it right there. I yeah. mean that that's it in in in, in play. So uh, I appreciate that, and I'll be looking and um, I'll be incorporating that in my analysis in the future. Mark says I have a question about the data laws that have been mentioned a few times in the season. It's mentioned that Dempsey Senior is in the right place at the right time to get access to huge amounts of data before the new data laws come in. Does that mean the insight? only has human data up until this point and if not how are they bypassing the current data laws or record data on people since the laws are passed what about people born after the data laws are passed 
Um, if Insight truly does have all this data, I'm struggling to understand why they need the data from the park. Given the park was only access to a privileged few, what possible value can it have when added up to the huge amount of data already held by Insight? We actually talked about this a lot in the main part of the outline, but do you have any additional thoughts? Um, I thought like this... So is it quaint and naive when we're talking about how are they bypassing the current laws or record data on people since the laws are passed? Uh-huh. If Robo Hobo and Insight is as powerful and wealthy as they say, they can just ignore the laws. Mm-hmm. And and pay the fines. Yeah. And pay the fines or pay off the people so they don't have oversight or, you know, use their system to predict when they'll get caught and then prevent that from happening. Yeah, how, like, how toothless are these laws? We don't we don't know much about the laws. Yeah, it's yeah. I I just feel like that it's it would be almost laughably easy for a company this powerful and wealthy to do whatever the hell they want regardless of the laws. Now, what you said earlier on was that I think you're supposed to understand that it's more of like only they have it because once they have this market cornered, any other smaller company that tries to do anything or skirts the law will be ruthlessly punished, mm-hmm. probably by Robo Hobo telling the authorities that they're doing the wrong thing, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and then they can investigate and be destroyed. Um, and you see that a lot when you have like they call it regulatory capture, where a, pow- a powerful wealthy segment of a uh, of, of an industry or a business that is supposed to be regulated by the agency becomes uh, they in fact uh, co-op that agency and use it as an arm to bludgeon competitors and to stifle innovation and to engage in other kind of discuss- gross rent-seeking behavior. Um, and I think they're playing with that more than it's really a challenge for insight to skirt the law. But also, they they play it both ways because Insight respects the law enough to not install tiny pinhole cameras everywhere to get eyes and ears on every citizen in the world. Um, Do you need so that when they're all carrying slim phones in their pockets? Like that, not only that, but but it's it'd probably be illegal to snoop on that. But also, if you got a predictive engine, it's probably just pretty easy to find out where people are because you just know where they're going to be. Yeah. So yeah, can, we don't know it, what it, it, data is protected. Surely not all data is protected, right? You have to have location services for a lot of the right. the things that they're doing. Like you've got to know who's in these automated cars, where are these automated cars going. There's certain data that has to be given in order to to function. You know? Yeah, maybe you can't collect data that are knowledge and awareness, but how, how many people would click through? Right. I agree to anything just so they can get the latest uh, Snapchat filter or yeah. you know whatever. Install the latest video game. Let's move on to John, who says, good riddance to Liam. Oh, you think Liam's not going to come back as a simulation? <laughs> you haven't gone all the way down yet, John. Uh, I couldn't tell if he's bad, uh, bad at acting or bad writing, but it wasn't super convincing with Liam trying to justify why it's a bad idea to share all the data with the peop- with all the people. I- Cosign. Also, I thought taking people off their loops fell flat. Maybe I'm desensitized with a similar scene with Mr. Robot where a protagonist with the push of a button can have the world and her smartphones discover something altogether at once. Uh, no one questions this as a hack or spam. It's just time to throw rocks through a window. Yeah, it'd be it'd be funny as a prank to do, like send every Verizon mobile user a tweet saying something along the lines of, I know what you did last summer and just see what people do. Right. The one thing I, I, I guess the one thing that I kind of jibes like it'd be one thing if you got a generic alert like that. Like, I know what you did last summer. 
But if you got a file that when you click open has detailed information about everyone you're living with, everyone you love, everyone you care about, that's cons- and, and you know some things are verified, like you probably know, you know, grandma has a health problem. Like, I guess if if I got a, do- a detailed dossier on my life out of nowhere, it would be very disturbing. And I would tend to believe it over like a news article saying, oh, no, that was just fake news. That was just a hacker. That was just blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, someone's got that fucking data. That data was pretty fucking compelling and scary. Maybe we're maybe yeah. we're giving it not enough credit well, for how I- immediate that impact would be. I think in that scenario, yeah, you're probably right, but they didn't show us that amount of data, right? They didn't show us that sort of deep insight into everyone you know. They simply said, oh, in 10 to 12 years, you're going to be on a, a dock uh, blowing your brains out, right? It's the, the amount of, of insight that they showed us, no pun intended, mm-hmm. um, sort of didn't didn't match up with the reaction. So maybe they needed to show us more uh what's in those files let me let me play devil's advocate let me play nolan advocate nolan's advocate uh they did this exact same scene with caleb uh two a week or two ago and no one said his reaction which was essentially instantly being because he had context right he had dolores standing there explaining exactly what rehoboam was exactly what they did like that's the and he had been a series of insane experiences that led up to that yeah you're right you're right so, uh, devil still going to jail. <laughs> advocacy, advocacy failed. <laughs> Jesse says, "I was wondering about your guys' thoughts on a few things. Is there some great individual acting performances in the series across all seasons? I think I definitely like the dialogue that's written for San- Sir Anthony Hopkins the best, though. As far as pure acting in their roles, though, to me, Ed Harris takes the cake. What do you guys think? Evan Rachel Wood is tremendous, as are Thandie Newton, Tessa Thompson, and Jeffrey Wright. Thoughts? And Aaron Paul, uh, like." everybody's doing everything right in the acting department. Um, the I'm, acting of the series has, especially of the main cast yeah. has never been a problem. Once you get away from that main cast and you get to like random goons and mooks and security guards and technicians and yeah. things like that, it goes downhill fast, but yes, they can, they give Anthony Hopkins the best lines, the best dialogues, and they dress him up real fancy. And he gets his well manicured, cultured English guy on, and it's just like fucking catnip. Yep. Uh, to listen to. And all of them, like they all, um, I don't know. I think I have not been super impressed with Evan Rachel Wood's Dolores since season one. Um, I feel but like I that's think more of a failure of writing. Or not even a failure writing, just a natural uh, progression of her character that she was so relatable and so um, empathetic in the first season. And then she's turned into the Terminator. Mm -hmm. She's the destroyer, literally, that it's a lot harder to to grasp that, you know, uh, that that character and get a good handle on it for, you know, what does that character look like? I, I don't know. But like Danny Newton continues to really impress and she's got a very similar, you know, kind of um sly uh knowing delivery of her lines that anthony hopkins brings to the table um and i think it's no accident they're related jeffrey wright's incredible in every fucking thing i've ever seen him do yeah Um, it's it's about the charisma um for me like mave and and ford have just charisma off the charts um dolores has almost no charisma in a lot of these scenes she's just very Mm -hmm. much like laser focused and and 
sort of just get out of my way kind of thing. Whereas Maeve is, yeah, is that way too, but she's way more charismatic about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's move on to John. Westworld is more than a show to me. So far, every season has become my complete obsession every time it's on, and I get totally lost in a nonstop theory crafting and Easter egg hunting and future hint finding as everyone else who follows your podcast goes on Reddit and listens to 20 other podcasts, etc. Podcast bigamist, eh, John? (laughs) However, though it pains me to say this, I have to side with Jim on this episode. I didn't want to think it, but I've already done a second watch in the whole middle of episode five. Felt weak and remains weak. They didn't do anything at all interesting with the genre concept. There have been some fascinating things written about the way the show plays with genre, but this is just dumb. Dude, a silent era and back literally meant that you would see the world in black and white? What? Why do they have Ash and Giggles show up? What purpose did they serve in any of their scenes? They didn't seem to help with anything Dolores and Caleb were doing. They show up, hang out for a bit, find their profiles a couple minutes before everyone else, shoot Liam maybe, and then leave. That last part is what they're doing. Because everything else, you're right. Like, they didn't need to write a scene where Caleb and Dolores stand in front of the fucking armored vehicle in a shootout and need to be saved from being flanked, which they weren't even flanked. They just let them be something flanked. That you, you could have just staged that and written it better. Mm-hmm. But you needed to add some kind of uncertainty to what happened with Liam or else it's a straightforward shot, you know, like then you'd know Caleb absolutely shot him and they're not ready to talk yeah. about that yet. They're not ready to show that. So having giggles and Ash there, Skittles and Ash, whatever they're Marshawn Lynch and Ash, they're there to add that uncertainty. Um, So that's it. Uh, there's a scene where Dolores is on a subway and it shows her looking through the contact lens at Ciroc's history and Rohobo, Robo Hobo. Then it cuts to a subway tunnel overlaid with the Rohobo, Rohoboam circle. I'm hoping this is a hint that we are in one of those possible futures being mapped out by Rohoboam. And if they wait until the end, very end to reveal that, I think people are going to be pretty pissed. I don't know. I mean, this show succeeds or fails based on how its final reveals are, whether they are su- like come out of left field, whether they fit in with everything that came before, whether people see that as clever and satisfying. Like that's the, that's the problem. With these mystery box shows until you open the box and see what's in, you don't know whether it's been worth the journey. Yeah. And sometimes it absolutely is. And sometimes it absolutely is not. And I think in this golden age of television, more shows than not have, have delivered on their promise than failed. Um, but oh, the jury's yeah. still out in Westworld. Yeah. But like, you I, know, the... I think the ones that have done it the best have also been emotionally resonant during the journey. Um, and that's, that's True. just a place where Westworld is not really doing it for me. And, and it's always been like this, like in retrospect, season one was fucking amazing. Um, season mm-hmm. one was probably the most emotionally resonant of any of the season so far. But that capper, man, that capper really just, it recontextualized everything um, and it made that season so much better. Season two sort of is where the disconnect started. It was emotionally resonant, but it was in the margins. Like, the, like yeah. uh, you cared about more of the B-class characters. Like, uh, 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 I've forgotten the... the um, I've forgotten the, main, the star of the Kitsuya episode. Aki? Aki? at Kishita uh that was the guy like hat right. that story which was largely a compressed one hour retelling of the entire season one arc mm. of Dolores and and Maeve etc um 
but yeah, like season one, super easy to identify with the host, super easy to see their plight and feel like see, see yourself and like their struggles. Um, season two didn't have that. I think it's really easy to, and a lot of people have resonated with like how Caleb feels about being stuck on his loop and how feels like no matter how you bust your ass, no matter how much you try to improve your score, you're still denied the possibilities that some people get by birthright, um, or through luck or accident and how frustrating that is in our modern society. But like Dolores and even Maeve, like it's hard to care about Maeve when you don't even know the nature of her reality. Um, yeah, but that can all, you know, if the last two episodes are amazing and really tie this and say something profound, all will be forgiven, especially if you appreciate that all these building blocks that might have been puzzling when you're looking at them in isolation, unconnected, if they all come together kind of like in season one into something bigger than than the sum of their parts. I, I think that's the, the hope with a show like Westworld, that they're going to really stick that landing. Matthew says, I agree with Jim that the middle dragged uh, the build up. And reveal of everyone learning about their loop was poorly executed and that the genre drug didn't seem to serve any purpose other than the guys the lackluster action. Mainly, though, I think some basic storytelling elements this season feel off. Like, who am I supposed to be rooting for and why? Does anyone else find themselves rooting for Serac? I'm beginning to think the show wants me to, and here's why. He's human. I'm human. And that's great. He has a clear backstory and motivation that I can understand. Everyone he loved has died in a nuclear fucking explosion. He's trying to stop similar cataclysms. He has traits I admire. He's badass. He's worked his ass off for a well-intentioned outcome. And he has tried the hard way to save everyone, i.e. trying to fix those outlier humans. Not just sending them out for the war, but trying to heal them, as twisted as that still is. And yeah, sure, he's taking all of our freedoms. But in the world of the show, we are literally all going to be extinct. Those are the stakes he lays out, and this is where the storytelling is confusing to me. It seems to me that most narratives portray the villain as unstoppable until the final act, wherein the heroes then summon the will to defeat them. But right now, Serac is getting his ass handed to him by Dolores. So despite his villainous tendencies, killing a few people mercilessly, I'm naturally rooting for the underdog. Serac is one of the few characters not controlled by Robo-Hobo or a host. Thus, all his acts are on his own. They are happening, quote-unquote, live, and I'm therefore interested in what he does. With Caleb, for example, I'm still not sure he is even making his own decisions or being controlled by Dolores, similarly with Bernard. Instead of investing in those who may be controlled, I find myself just waiting to see what is going to happen to them. Even with Dolores, it feels like she is just following her own preordained plan to checkmate, undeterred at each step. But with Serac, at least I know he is the master of his own destiny. Finally, I feel like the actor who's playing him is doing a great job. Um, what do you think of this analysis so far? Because I think that's something they're playing it, with. Yeah, so in a traditional narrative structure, this would be like an act two-ish kind You're of halfway thing. through Empire Strikes Back, yeah. Right, and so the protagonist would be the one getting shit on here, mm-hmm. and you're absolutely correct in assessing that Serac is being defeated at every turn by Dolores. Um, so, so the tendency is to think that Serac is the the protagonist, but I, yeah, I'm not sure that that's true. Uh, I, like I said, I'm I'm very I'm very much as confused as you are. Where you know the the villainous and and righteous lie in this show yeah especially when you got the you know an aspect of Dolores opining that her and Bernard are still working on the same team and in fact are family that Mm -hmm. would unite all the hosts and perhaps humanity or at least a humanity stuck on fruitless loops against Ciroc um but it's weird and they they continue uh to develop this point uh Matthew does and says 
Finally, I want to add, this is no Thanos-type situation where Serac wants to cull half of the life of the universe to save it. It seems to me in our real world right now, we are headed towards a situation where inactivity on things like climate change, rising nationalism, and a fight for dwindling resources is going to mean the collapse of modern society or the deaths of perhaps hundreds of millions. I'm not an expert, but it's definitely not crazy to think that the sky is fucking going to fall unless we act collectively and pronto. The chances of us doing so, however, seem pretty close to zero. Thus, if suddenly a robo-hobo came in and delicately got us all in line and it saved millions and in the show's case saved us from extinction, I'm pretty sure we should take that deal as opposed to rejecting it for our own selfish need to feel like the master of our own path. Besides, we obviously are in a loop right now in the horribly unequal society we live in that's inevitably leading to catastrophe. I don't know. Give me a Ciroc any day as opposed to the cliff we are fucking sprinting towards. And I just want to point out, there's many people probably listen to this podcast, and certainly if you just say this out on the street, that would be horrified that you just said that. Like, there are as many people who, at least from the relative comfort of their existence right now, would gladly die a quote-unquote free person master of their own destiny than to live with in a sheep pen with other sheep. Um, now I've always wondered, like, would they say that at the end of a barrel of a gun? Would they say that in, in, in the face yeah. of a mushroom cloud? Would they say that in the, well, I, I found out actually very recently, they will say that in, in the for in, in the face of a global pandemic. Um, they'll say that about other people, I think. Uh, that's yeah. the interesting point. Uh, but I don't know. I think, I think there are those that are, that they, they, they say that and they mean it. They like, they will follow Some through. People, yeah. 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 But then some people say it's because they're badass and they think they're immortal and and they're 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 too clever for their own good. But or they have no stakes. Um, they, you know they're not invested in the the in the outcome of it, right? Like right, <laughs> other people are going to die, and so of course they'll make that decision. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And and we talked at length about this during the episode. It's it's a shades of gray kind of thing. It's a really hard thing to just give a yes or no on because there's so many. Uh, factors. There are so many uh, wrinkles in that equation. So many variables. Like, how close are you to death? You know. Here's another uh, do wrinkle. We actually, have free will. Do you trust Sirak to actually be the the, the save you? Like, yeah, he wants to put question. you in the sheep pen. Once you're in the sheep pen, he can butcher you. And mm-hmm. why would you trust someone else's judgment and ability uh, and uh, ideas of what that you should do, what they should do with your freedom? Then you trust your own self. And I get that side of the equation for sure. Like if, mm-hmm. if you could trust Ciroc a hundred percent to save it and then, you know, hand control back when it's safe to do so, that's a whole different story than just forever giving up your right to make a choice and forever trusting your hand into some greater plan that you don't understand and didn't sign up for. And are, are the choices of a single person in, inherently better than the choices of like the emergent choice of an entire populace? Yeah, crowdsource that wisdom. It's, right. I mean, it's a fair question to ask. Mm-hmm. Chris says, I want to keep it short and simple. You can see Liam's bodyguard and Bernard telling the technician outside the control room of Rojo Boehm to take a piss at around the 24-minute mark. It's clearly dark outside. However, in the next scene from that location, around the 36-minute mark on my time, it's daytime. This could be an oversight in filming, but combining this with other evidence, I think it's yet another clue to the pile uh, pointing towards a few different timelines. Obviously, there's also the different rings and some of the transitions in episode. Um... You're right, but on the other hand, Bernard was taken from a rich socialite party that I would believe would probably not get started until midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And then they get spirited away. They, you know, there's there's a lot of things that happen, and it doesn't take too much of my imagination to think that it's that you could go through a dawn cycle. 
this is all happening in one evening. Yeah. So I'm not sure. But that's what I'm saying. Like some of these things are production errors. Some of these things are deliberate. Some of these things are just people not keeping track of the timeline over multiple weeks. And they're fucking with us with timelines and, and simulation anyway. Um, okay. Zeke is our final. He's our hammer for this week. He wants to know what does Serac actually do? He has got control of the system and there is an, and in there access to all of its data. Does he input the data? Does he adjust variables? Can he himself choose to rewrite some one story or does Rehoboam do that by itself? Can he use Rehoboam to be like Dolores and walk around in a virtual safety net of planning and ability? Can he himself write human history as he sees fit? While his motives may be as simple as control, what does he really want? World peace, money, to have a world where his brother can live peacefully? I actually think we can answer those questions pretty clearly. What do you think, Jim? Uh, my... So, I don't know. If you take him at his word, yeah, he wants world peace. He wants um, everyone to continue to exist and be as happy collectively as possible, um, that benevolent dictator thing. And I also think the thing that he does with Roboam is he controls the outcomes. Um, you can see it in the stock market scene, right, where... Like Dempsey asks, key, like, yeah. which which uh, outcome? What's it going to do? Go up or down? And he's like, which do you want? And then it lines up. Like, he looks at his pad and it lines up a trajectory for the stock market. I think that's what he does. He decides the path of humanity. Yeah, Robo Hobo shows all the possibilities. And then you select which one is desirable. And Robo Hobo tells you what are the inputs into the system that made that happen. And that's and I think how, executes the the changes um, yeah. on society that need to be made to get that outcome. Yeah. Um, now, at one point, like you know, one of the things we talked about is like, is there an emergent property Robo Robo Hobo where it starts making its own calls and locks Sirak out? Has that already happened? Yeah. Um, I think those are interesting questions. But as far as how it works, I think you're right. Young Sirak in the stock market scene that kind of lays out the whole the whole thing right there. Yeah. Uh, also, what is Robo Hobo program to do? Is it simply to track and display, to track and filter and act choices? Uh, could it be a full-blown Dolores given the circumstances? Could it hire assassins, tell people what to do, and for all intents and purposes, achieve whatever goal it wants? I'm open to the possibility of Robo Hobo being inhabited by someone, but I rather think it is not just a tool that it should be a Dolores-type AI. That said, I ask again, what is Robo Hobo programmed to do and what is it trying to do now? So uh, I think by the end of this, it probably is a Dolores type AI. And I think Sorak is the ghost in the machine. Hmm. Um, because, you know, that line about him, like saying, I have ensured that you're going to live on beyond any of us. I think that's only figuratively true or or only literally true, actually. Um, figuratively, I think... If you say, okay, RoboHobo is being controlled by Serac to produce the outcome that Serac wants, then you need some sort of intelligence to do that once he's gone. And it would make sort of a natural sense for him to put himself into the machine. And maybe that's why we're only seeing Serac in these present day things um, appearing as hologram, right? Uh, maybe he doesn't actually exist. Maybe he's dead now. Um, and this you know uh ship this cage in the sky that he's in this glass house in the sky is really just a product of that simulation it's possible i'm not sure that the show has told us that yet hmm. yeah no I, I i agree i think those are uh all very strong possibilities um and also like what was 
robo robo hobo programmed to do like that's not super interesting on this show because dolores was programmed to be the damsel in distress and to be a fuck toy and to be a a uh, a reward for winning a quest and she ends up being a leader of a robot rebellion that might lead to the extinction of humanity so like what was robo hobo programmed to do who gives a shit it's a sophisticated art uh you know learning machine that has potentially unlimited capacity and potential it could be like a super version of dolores so that's the question you should be asking not what it's supposed to do but what it could do given emergent qualities and its learning and 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 it's 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 time to iterate itself um comforting thought so that's all we got for this week uh i'm sure we'll have lots more to talk about on the instant take on sunday night which we have right after the east coast showing of uh, westworld every week and much more on the full episode next tuesday uh we will be back then but until then i'm aaron and i'm jim have a great rest of your week